This is a production of Cornell University. Yeah, welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is the 16th episode of the Cornell Turf Show this year. Our guest today is John Sorokin from the University of Tennessee. A little Rocky Top action for you guys today. Um, we're going to talk uh, sports fields, uh, athlete safety. There's some interesting stuff John's doing now with uh, infield depth, uh, impact attenuation. I saw some interesting stuff there, John. I'm sure Frank is, is uh, on the scent of that, and, and we'll chat about that. A uh, quick note for our podcast listeners, if, if you guys listen regularly through the podcasts, uh, we'd love some uh, feedback from you guys. Leave a review, uh, leave a, a rating. You can call us idiots. You can call us great. Uh, we, we just want some feedback. That's, uh, <laughs> that's exactly that's right. This sucks. <laughs> so, I got better things to do. That's right. So, uh, Frank, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. I think you're live from a very famous golf course down there on Long Island. That's today. right. Yeah. Live from the Bethpage State Park. I got to go right. around from right. six o'clock this morning, just got to go around the entire black course, but we're talking sports fields today, Carl. And something that many sports field managers are spending a fair amount of time uh, doing uh, throughout the year. And, and here's this guy trying to get the thing painted before the rain starts coming down. Right. Cause you can see it, you know, right behind his back there. So obviously, uh, you know, painting lines and dealing with the weather, you can see com some construction in the background, equipment that you've got to move. Uh, sports field managers generally have to be uh, on their toes all the time, uh, moving things around and dealing with athletes, but they always need a good companion. And here's a, a little guy, I, I not, you know, now you got sports field guys bringing their dogs uh, to the setup operations. And Carl, we wouldn't have it any other way. I know you're a good dog owner, but I think you got a really cool stat for us having to do with footwear today. Yeah. And it's, it's more, I think a tip of the day, Frank, and, and uh, we've talked about this with Andy McNitt in the past, but the influence on footwear um, for athletes and how that relates to injury risk. And um, it, 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 when you, especially when you have a high traction surface, we're going to talk about synthetic fields today. When we've done some measuring of our surfaces here at Cornell, the synthetic field always rates very highly in our traction measuring uh, devices. If you put a high traction field with a high traction shoe, uh, the athlete loves that because they can really break and turn very well. But the problem is that stress is uh, absorbed by all the ligaments and, and the lower body injuries. And, and we see higher rates of, of those sorts of uh, catastrophic injuries uh, higher on synthetic surfaces. So uh, for your coaches, make sure they have access to something like this database. This is a free database Penn State has. Uh, they rank a bunch of shoes every different year. Um, you'll see the models there. They have a little traction score. So just be aware that if you're doing some safety monitoring on your fields and you have high traction values, uh, make sure that your coaches know their athletes are wearing shoes that are appropriate for that surface. And, and John, you know, you've played around with this a little bit, right? I mean, I think we've talked about this. Andy doesn't use that big monster that the University of Virginia developed to do this, does he? No, he uses the pen foot. And, uh, and you know, then Virginia, University of Virginia has, the, well, in BioCore, they have the, what's called the beast, right? And we have what we have, we have two devices, the flex and peak. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 um, but for data to pick shoes, this isn't terrible. No, it, it's, it's a good start. I mean, Andy's not, doesn't really simulate the pen foot doesn't simulate an actual foot strike and the, and the impacts, but it, it can tell you differences between, you know, traction with the different shoes they put on in terms of one that's giving you a higher load than another on the, on the movement okay. that they're doing. 
All right, good. All right, so listen, let me get through the weather a little bit, then we're going to really yeah. get into the teeth of a, a good sports turf conversation. And as we've been saying, pretty much for the 16 episodes, uh, we are well into our roller coaster. We have another uh, bunch of roller coaster weather going on here. You can see it up and down, up and down. And then we go to May, and we're starting to head up a little bit. And I can tell you down here, uh, it looks like it's going to get windy and cold in the metropolitan New York area. As you get a little bit further north, it's actually going to be quite a bit warmer and clearer than normal. Last week was a pretty cool week. You can see the majority of the Northeast was below normal. Uh, and of course, that therefore, that meant not a big accumulation of degree days. So I continue to see uh, the lack of advancement. Uh, of the growing season, which, you know, in my mind, if you're playing sports uh, on grass that's not actively growing because you're not getting good growing conditions, uh, the likelihood of that turf wearing out quicker. And I think also, I would argue, as we get to it, uh, a better use for synthetic turf when the grass isn't growing to get those athletes on something uh, that won't do as much, that they won't damage as much. Now, the outlook, as I said, looks warmer. The further you get away from the coast, and so you're likely to accumulate a, a significant amount of degree days uh, away from the coast and certainly to the southern region. So we are expecting a little bit of a warm up in in inland, but along the coast, it'll still be on the chilly side. Now, um, you know, when we're before we get into soil moisture, we had Evan Machete on a couple of shows ago and and we wouldn't have a sports turf conversation if we weren't talking about infield skin and some guy on twitter was uh, bragging about his great cleat in cleat out work he says he's finally got the dirt uh, at the right moisture so you know one of the things that's fascinating about sports turf is that it's not just grass right you've got uh you've got these infield systems clay sand systems and of course, we're going to talk about uh, synthetic turf. So the rainfall, it's been on the dry side uh, throughout much of the Northeast uh, until you get up into the far reaches of northern New England. So overall, we're starting to see evapotranspiration compensate for light rainfall. You know, we'll lose between a half and three quarters of an inch uh, evapotranspiration. So you're starting to see deficits over a week-long period when we don't get rainfall. And it looks like we might be around neutral to a little bit of a slight deficit, but overall looks like we're going to be drying out uh, in the near term, which I think bodes well in some cases, because uh, we have had plenty of moisture up to this point to keep the grass actively growing. Now, soils are still remarkably cool. And again, when you think about grass growing and traffic tolerance, cool soils are not really perfect for, for good top growth, right? So one of the things that happens is I find myself, you know, wanting to recommend uh, more sports turf managers have synthetic surfaces available. Now, uh, here at Cornell, uh, where we tape $2 bills to the back of our pads for reasons that I don't entirely understand, but we are really good at missing tackles uh, on a regular basis. Uh, so today, um, uh, you know, we, I just bring up some of the highlighted things that have come to mind around synthetic turf. And I think it came to a head uh, back in the Super Bowl when Odell Beckham is cutting across the middle, he's starting to have the game of his career. 
real breakout game. Uh, I think it was early in the first quarter. He's cutting across the field. Nobody's near him. You could tell he planted his foot uh, in a, in a really stiff way. And the next thing you know, uh, the knee buckled. Now this was on the heels of our Cornell alum and form, former Cleveland Brown center. I don't know where he's wound up right now. The current NFLPA president, JC Treader, uh, coming out uh, and saying back in 2020, we got to convert these fields from synthetic turf to natural grass, uh, makes a very pointed comment uh, about things that John studies on a pretty regular basis, you know, high levels of power and rotation on the playing surface. Um, the grass gives and it releases the cleat before it reaches a harmful load. You can tell this guy's a Cornell grad, right, John? So <laughs> sure can. Uh, along come the best management practices out of the, the mid-Atlantic region um, for uh, guys for environmental stuff. But thankfully in there, um, there's a section on synthetic turf. It has some environmental impact as well. But there are some really key things about maintenance, uh, performing it in accordance with um, the uh, warranty, uh, best management practices, right? And so the thing that comes up when you start looking at best management practices and shown very clearly, you know, you see ASTM standards, you see guidelines, right? You, you, there's a no warranties, right? There are very clear things. You're taking field temperature, preferably with an infrared thermometer, right? So there's lots of different, um, ways of looking at synthetic turf that we generally, unfortunately, don't always follow with natural grass systems. I, I find that sort of interesting in and among itself. And so when we start to bring up standards, right, the ASTM group has come up with the F-155-1551 standard that was updated in 2018 that will give you guidance on how these things, uh, these surfaces should be maintained. And of course, John has the Center for Athletic Field Safety. I had the pleasure of having a lovely conversation with John on my other podcast uh, for TurfNet uh, about this uh, particular subject as well as footwear. John is intimately involved with the uh, NFL. And he just published an article not long ago on is testing your synthetic field importance? This looks like a depth gauge to me, maybe a traction gauge, John. Is it a depth gauge or a traction gauge? It's an infill depth gauge. Yeah. Okay, it is an infill depth gauge. Yeah. And I think this is probably the thing that's uh, been changed a lot is that now that we have this infill depth data, um, there are really important things to measure. But in that article that I've seen you write and write other articles, you cite this particular paper that was published I'm sure you're familiar with because it's all your brethren from Calgary. It's all your Alberta natives uh, that did this work, my hometown. Right? What I thought was fascinating, it's in your hometown. What, what I thought was fascinating here, John, this is a good launching point because I got a couple of questions. But, you know, this is a study that was done purposefully setting up different surface characteristics um, carpet fiber density, whether a shock pad was present, the mix of rubber and sand, the top layer, that stuff stayed consistent. Looks like one of the big measurement differences here was the shock pad. Now, in this test, 
you know, they show clearly this 5105 tests that they do across these light sensors, the jump tests that they do. It's really quite fascinating. And I often wonder why we don't do this more for natural grass. It seems like we've got tons of this stuff for synthetic turf, but they do get into in this paper, John, about, you know, subjectively participants couldn't discern the differences in surfaces and it, it changes in surface performance uh, was uh, different uh, relative to the stiffness or the softness of the surface. So listen, here's some of my questions, right? I went deep there for a second and we can go back into that deep dive. But here are the first ones. I want you to go through with us, you know, what are some of the minimum things like you wrote about in that article that synthetic turf people should be? If you've got a synthetic turf, what are the things you should be doing? Um, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between infill and single pile, right? Obviously, some are using infill, some are using field hockey people are using single pile. And then, you know, just a general discussion maybe we can have, John, about, you know, how you help communities make decisions between, you know, a synthetic system versus a natural system. So let's start out with the minimum testing. I'm going to look at you now. Let's start out with the things uh, that you recommend. Anybody that's got synthetic systems, what are you recommending that they have as a bare minimum testing regime? It definitely a bare minimum is, a, is an infill depth gauge. Um, a lot of our research has shown that, you know, when they were doing all that testing, like at University of Calgary, they looked at different things with shock pads and, and what they did was looking at different systems of infill and maybe in one of them is a stitch gauge, how, like the wider. Yeah. And our grandmas might understand this better when they did their, their, their little basket or their little weaving and gardening or thing, right. not gardening, but their those little wool things that they made in the seventies. But you know how wide they are apart, and all that determines how stable the infill is and how much it moves or migrates or splashes. Hmm. And what happens is these aren't maintenance-free, the synthetic turf. And the more what we find is, as you've got a system that's built perfect how it's supposed to be, you start to splash and migrate infill. You now have a buildup somewhere else where maybe there's more slippage. But the other part where there's what they call more fiber reveal, you got more fibers mm -hmm. to grab and wrap around those cleats and change your traction. And one of the things we've learned in talking about this, John, is uh, Chase and Gerald have done this, that athletes can determine that inconsistency sometimes in their footing, and that adds to the safety concern. So, so right. for you, uh, uh, a local place should certainly be testing their infill and trying, you know, identifying like goal mouths and sliding areas mm -hmm. where there's going to be more splashing and then deal with that. Do you like other measurements? Uh, obviously, the thermometer is a good one. Yeah, do thermometer is a really good one. Do they need to do a drop test? Because that gets expensive to do GMAX, doesn't so it? So GMAX is, you know, it's, and, and we don't know what it really tells you. And, you know, when you look at ASTM, it's an A missile. So you're not going to buy right. one of those. That's a, that's a $25,000 missile, not a $5,000 or $4,000 like okay. the flag. Um, right. And all those set a maximum. It can't be above this. Um, and when I've, the biggest complaints we've had from players uh, a lot of times has been that the fields are too soft. So what about establishing a minimum? Because you get a really cushiony surface and all of a sudden they, you think of running on a beach, where are you running? You're running on the firm sand. They probably like it a little bit firmer, a little bit higher. G-Max, if you looked at it that, closer to a maximum, not a minimum, not something that's right. like a 40 or 50 with a clig. Yeah, that's 
just because you run on well, that. Soft I mean, the standards for, I mean, the Clegg stuff is also, you don't crack your head open. The rotational traction is the other aspect mm -hmm. that, you know, the old Del Be the old OBJ thing. Yeah. Uh, Kate, well, you know, here was a deceleration stop. And, you know, that there's a lot that has to do with the angle that you're, you're planting in of your gate, they call it, which can cause it previous injuries have an effect on it as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables that go into it, but yeah, rotational. Um, and there's rotational devices. We like the, the beast has a rotational device. Um, our, we have a rotational device that can simulate the, the forces of an actual athlete. When we try to use the canaway, if you remember the, the canaway rotational mm -hmm. torque, mm -hmm. what we find is if when we look at high speed video, it doesn't do what an athlete does. It's when we look at it, and we do it in slow motion, it, it shows that it actually kind of lifts it up as you twist it. It's exactly so it, right. It doesn't do a realistic condition. So we, we, we've, we've built some rotational devices, but those aren't cheap, you know, to go and test the field. So, so you're saying, but th so that's good. I mean, obviously you can spend a lot of money and mm -hmm. you can test a lot of things, but I'm hearing you say, and then maybe that study reveals it, that infill depth, if you can only do really one thing, and that would be, you know, okay, so there's two things. <laughs> there's what you, you need to be doing on a routine basis, and then there's when the people show up for the warranty check, right? Don't many synthetic fields buy contracts then for testing, and what is your opinion about that approach? Yeah, they get they do an annual test. Um, like a lot of, lot of stadiums will get an annual test from an independent lab to come and test things, and they'll do the A-missile um, they'll do a planer as well. They get like a two meter long metal bar that's perfectly mm -hmm. straight just to see if there's any undulations. Um, huh. And then the others, you know, measuring the, they could, they may have HIC, which is a head injury criterion. But again, that's just a single linear thing for concussions. It's a lot of, it's the rotational stuff that, you know, I'm learning from a lot of meetings with the NFL Players Association, working with the neurologist that it's, it's rotational that's causing concussions. And there's no difference between natural and artificial surfaces for NFL players for head to surface contact concussions. So there's no difference between natural grass and synthetic turf for head to surface contact. Yeah. For NFL Those, players. For yeah, NFL no, players. And no, for NFL players. Right. Yeah. Um, th there's not, that's not a surprise, is it? No, no. I mean, they're getting tackled and the velocity that their head's hitting the surface, you know, because of a tackle and movement or something, that's usually what it is or something that's happening rotationally. Okay, so, so rotationally on the leg, on the head. Oh, on like the to head. Cause a concussion on the head. Oh, okay. the concussions are happening. So these devices, like a Clegg and these things, that's just a single linear force. So what we now we look at, you know, the time to, like goes back to Clay or Trey's PhD when he was at Penn State with Waddington was looking at the time to peak with the Clegg. You know, what does that curve look like, and what's the area under the curve at different times? Because okay. there's a lot of energy being returned back. And so those are things that we, we, we look at a lot um, with our devices, especially our traction devices. It's the time to peak and then the load going back on the body as well as how far it displaces in the surface. So that's, it, how, so, that's what we measure. So what, but what you're saying is, is very interesting. You introduced, you introduced the idea of a minimum. So mm -hmm. soft is good for your head, but not so good for your footing. Have you identified some ranges now based on infield depth, what that sweet spot is? Yeah, um, 
Well, it's hard to do on infill depth because it, is there a shock pad? Is there, it, what, what is the infill? Is it an organic infill? Is it a sand rubber? What is the ratio of the sand rubber? What is the density and the pile height of the fiber? So these things are a myriad it's, it's of differences, right? Just, yeah. Yeah. And this is where the, you know, we, our research tries to identify, you know, the systems that can be the most consistent because, you know, people aren't going to maintain them, especially K through 12 and city park and rec fields. So how do we keep the children safe? You know, the NFL does a really good job of maintaining their synthetic turf and replacing them every couple. The oldest field is three years old now. So well, and then wait, wait, wait. So, but didn't it when there was a whole hubbub about the Giants and the and the Jets last year at Meadow? And I talked to McNitt. He said it didn't test different. Yeah, it didn't. Well, it didn't test different. Um, and you know, in, injuries are going to happen. And they looked at the way some of those happened and things like that. It was yeah. like, there's a lot of high fakes because the NFL does every injury. Now they do high, they, they look at the video and they look at, was it a contact, non-contact? How did it hurt? Was it, did the foot get locked or whether they do concussions and all injuries, they, yeah, they yeah, yeah. monitor. So, so when you, when you look at that system, mm -hmm. that's consistent for these K through 12 municipalities, uh, even, you know, the small universities that might not have a lot of resources. What are you finding? Uh, a ton of variability, a ton of variability. And I, and I, I kind of look at it as if you think, you know, baseball is the best sport. When you look at after practice, the baseball team goes and fix the skin. They fix the mound. They might mow the grass. Well, <laughs> let's do that for artificial turf. Let's, hey, especially lacrosse where the goalie's slamming their foot against that oh. corner. You know, Cornell's a big lacrosse school you know have the players like high schools whatever go out and redistribute that infill to level it back up one it'll extend the life of that field but also keep it uniform and consistent so okay so listen let me let me ask maybe it's a small question but let's see what it translates to do you think if is there a demonstrable difference in performance between the single pile and the infill, I mean, are people really moving completely away from single pile systems or, um, you know, the, 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 just the carpet with the pad? Just the carpet, so a non-infill system? Yeah. Now, no, I, I don't see, there's one, there's one synthetic turf company that's pushing a, a non-infill a lot for um, stadiums and they're just, they're coming from Europe, a Swiss company. And they, they just, I know they got their first six stadium or fields, I think five or six fields in the U.S. last okay. year. Okay. Um, but you know that the field hockey is a completely different sport. It, they the, the 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 gold standard for field hockey is still the old knit nylon original astroturf. Yeah, and that's all about the ball roll and 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 keeping that field soaking wet. That's and, right. And so the ball, so you almost see a a, a rooster yeah. tail, so the ball yeah, doesn't yeah. come all up the time. Yeah, so it's about the, the field hockey ball. coach drives our director crazy. Our director of sports oh, turf crazy. I, I can imagine. Yeah, it's a but that you know, and that's it, go back to those old multiple nub shoes that that's what they probably should be wearing on those on that surface so and i don't know what they wear we don't have field hockey here but you know i, I deal with some field hockey fields we got some in our research plots and yeah you don't want to be putting uh you know the, the cleats because they're wearing the same cleats on these infill systems as they are in grass in the nfl and, and they you know, should everywhere, right? everywhere. And, and you agree with that um there's the there's there's a list of shoes that are recommended not to be worn in the NFL on synthetic turf because they provide too high of loads on, on a translational and a rotational. And, you know, but the odd time a player will wear it because they think I, maybe I get that extra step on the, on the DB covering me and I get that touchdown and yeah. I get the, you know, but then all of a sudden they roll an ankle, then they're, they're never the same. 
Yeah. Well, listen, and that's interesting because I, you know, you see them make designer shoes mm-hmm. and they turn them into ornaments when I think I've heard both you and Andy say they're safety pieces of safety equipment, those shoes. They shouldn't be viewed as ornaments. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, though, the plate, the cleat is still the same. It's just that it's the, it's the top that. Okay, good. So they're they not messing around the, with the bottom. They don't do custom plates because that's a huge cost to, for the mold. You know, it's easier for them to do the top and make some sort of thing. But they've, you know, they, the plates, there's several different plates on the bottom with, with cleat designs and cleat patterns. Um, and some of them are designed now to do a better release of rotational, but they change the patterns in it. You know, most of the ac- accidents are in a deceleration or cutting condition, not, not a rotational that you see when the players are getting a lower. When they're, when they're, when they're planting and coming in at an angle, that's what you yeah. said. Back trying to stop or, or change the direction. And then they, they change the gate or the angle of their, their body. Or if the pass is slightly behind them and they slow up and then they catch it, they catch their foot. And, and if you've had a, a, a pre-existing ACL injury, you're, you're four times more likely, two to four times, I believe, more likely to rupture that again. So and listen, if I, I want to know it's even higher. It's, it's females are even higher. Females are even higher. Right. They, yeah. There's, and some of it, we can train differently, right? Can we, should we be training athletes differently in some way, especially female athletes? Yeah, it's, there's, there's a way of, you know, running and jumping and landing, but it's like, when you get into the spirit of the competition and you're going and something's happening, you're focusing on, 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 on at that moment. It only takes that instance. So that's exactly right. You can train and train and train to get those kind of like doing a focusing on your free throw shot constantly, <laughs> constantly, but you know, something's going to happen when you're, when you're overexerted, you're tired, you, you, you do yes, different. that's exactly right. You know, you often wonder how many injuries occur later in the game and why mm-hmm. you don't want uh, overtime to run for another hour because mm-hmm. these guys are more likely to get hurt. Listen, we, we got like only a few minutes and I want to get to, I think, another pertinent question. You know, let me put you in Calgary for Let me put you back home for a minute. If you had a school district that liked sports in Calgary, mm-hmm. Would you advise them to have a synthetic surface or do you think Northern climates can still have um, natural grass with early spring and late fall? They, they, they definitely growing up there. We had great fields like that were great grass fields. And the, the, the city of Calgary puts a lot of money into their parks and rec, like in, in the beauty of it. So it, it all comes down to, you can have it if you've got the money to invest in people to maintain it um again synthetic turf it has its place as well i think uh you know when it's inclement weather and it's rainy and stuff it's a place to go and for children and our data is showing the like when you our traction data shows for children when when you're below 125 pounds for males you probably can't generate a big enough load where it's going to cause lower extremity injuries once you start getting that pubescent ages and higher like 150 175 200 pounds and then you get above 250, it kind of changes again. But those loads vary. Um, but when you you put on that force back on your body, so it's it's funny. Um, we had Bev Palmer, who's probably listening right now. Yeah, he's uh, on. We there. had him on, and and uh, he says he makes them wear sneakers in the spring on on the grass, right? So they don't dig in, and <laughs> and, and so that's actually better, right? Than even putting the cleat in. Yeah. So so I always thought one of the things I tell communities is exactly what you said. Listen. You build it right, you maintain it right, 
you can't use it 24 seven like you want to use a synthetic surf system. So if right. you have an uh, overabundance of activity, then that's where it might work as well. And also when you have a, like we do, persistently crappy weather in Ithaca, yeah. um, and you can keep your natural grass fields nice by yeah. putting them on those synthetic fields in that inclement weather. Is that the, the sort of process you talk people through? Because a lot of times, you know, you got one faction that wants to spend a lot of money because it's high profile. Let's have a turf, a synthetic turf field. And then you got this other faction, like we can do grass, but it's blah, blah, blah. How do you help places navigate that stuff? Well, definitely. And it's, it's a, uh, you got to remember that it's, it's not maintenance free. And a lot of times it's a one-time capital cost improvement to, so it's easy to go and say, we got a million dollars for a, a natural or an artificial field, but, you know, but if, you take that same million dollars and you put it, you put $300,000 into a really good grass field and the other 700,000 into an endowment. Can you get that endowment to pay for that field for the next in perpetuity? Yeah. Or I don't know. I mean, those are, those are the ways we need to start thinking if you want to have a grass, but yeah, they can't take the number of games. That's right. But the artificial turf does get worn in those heavy areas. And just like Gerald and Chase's work, you know, natural and artificial fields running from an inconsistent across an inconsistent, the surface whether it's good or bad area it's that change a lot of times where those injuries can occur that they've, they've identified how about questions carl questions for john yeah, yeah we got a good one from greg and and it speaks to your point earlier frank about you know it seems like we're developing these these specs for synthetic fields and they're not a growing plant right so it's it's easier you, you can have those uh specs but but greg is saying why can't we do that for natural uh fields and can we do it by soil type could we do it by by uh, species, does that seem like the the way we would do it if we were going to make these specs and categorize them that way? I think that's that's a great great way to go. I, I think the work that was done by Alec Koleski for his PhD at Michigan State, showing how you could change high school native soil high school fields in Michigan with the sand cap buildup. Okay. These fields are performing great year after year now, so it's, it's it doesn't take a lot, and it's also great to get the, the students involved with projects. Now more and more schools are wanting education programs and turf programs, why not Why not do that? So we don't, you know, it is funny, John, we don't have the same ASTM standards for cool seed, for natural grass fields that we have for synthetic. Is, is there discussion of this? You're probably involved in any ASTM discussion, I would bet. Uh, a, a little bit, I haven't been with ASTM for a little bit. We, um, so since Adam Tomes was really here, um, but you know, they, they have some standards for testing fields, but, and there's, and the, STMA, now SFMA, back in the 90s, developed a, a root zone spec based off of USGA. That's the ASTM root zone spec. And, you know, they allowed a greater variance. You can have coarser sand and finer yeah. because yeah. you're mowing it at a higher height. But, you know, we, we tested and compared that and it performs similarly the same as USGA spec. So whatever's well, we don't have. I mean, you have guidelines for how hard you are going to let a field get. Right. But, you know, you guys have sort of avoided the whole traction thing with natural grass, right? Yeah, there's so many, so much dynamics within it, even across varieties. Mm -hmm. of, like we see different varieties of Bermuda grass perform completely different. Wow. So varieties. Varieties. Yeah. So, yeah. You would expect a Bermuda to have a little more traction than a ryegrass, does it? It, it can, but if you've got one that's more aggressive by stolons versus rhizomes, you know, you plant and it kind of flips up like a comb over in the wind. You know, it's just, 
it just okay. pops up. So you, you <laughs> or All right, Carl, another or how question you manage for Johnny? it. Are you cutting grooming? Because that makes a whole big difference. Are you, it, it's so, it's, it's so dynamic. It's really hard. I think we could come up with baselines of what to do. Um, and even we're doing a lot of work with these stabilized solutions. We, we tried to uh, put out a, a minimum for, for native soil, you know, for Clegg and all that, because yeah, you yeah. buddies and, but yeah, and, and even sand, but it was, it was, it's hard to get accepted when other reviewers don't agree with it, maybe. So uh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Other questions, Carl? Uh, just another comment from Ben Polymer. He said his highest wear areas on uh, field hockey fields are the corners where they're slamming their stick in. And it says for him, it removes the infill down to the backing. So that's an interesting, uh, I think just speaking to the sports specific, you know, wear yeah. and tear, right? Yeah, I can see that. Wow, that's crazy. All the way down to the bottom of the, I didn't know they liked playing field hockey on crumb rubber. I thought they liked playing on that single pile. Yeah, no, they, they well, they, they do like playing usually on a, but a lot of schools will just buy one field and it's going to be right. a, a, a sand rubber infill. You got to have a good budget to have a, a field hockey specific. You see how fast 30 minutes goes? We didn't even get any time to say hi, John. Thanks so much yeah. for taking the time. Appreciate it, Carl. Yes, thank John, you guys. good to see you. Yes, take care. You too. Take Carl, care, everybody. We'll see you guys. We'll see you guys next week uh, on Friday. Remember, Thursday's episode is uh, postponed. We're going to be out in the field live out in Rochester for our golf folks on Thursday. You can come see us out at that GCSA NY field day. Uh, but for well, now, take care. It's a couple care. of weeks. Last one. Yeah, we're, we're, almost, we're almost done with our third season. I, I can't believe it. So... Again, if you're listening or on YouTube, leave a leave a comment and a rating. We, we really appreciate the feedback. Uh, until next week, we'll, we'll see you guys. Thanks. This has been a production of Cornell University on the web at cornell.edu.